Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. As I've said before, Mark Twain said that history doesn't repeat itself, but does rhyme. Now, what rhymes with this? You can't let massive numbers of people be unemployed uh, without having uh, <laughs> having to pay for it, not only economically, but in other social problems, crime and other things. That was U.S. Congressman Paul Simon in 1975. The off-ramps, Bob Smith reports a little bit later on in the program. Now let's talk about a food desert, a food swamp. Some people living in small towns surrounded by farms have trouble accessing fresh food. Sometimes the cost of fresh produce is out of certain people's uh, budget. But not for long. Wayne Searles, who owns Rendleman Orchards near Alto Pass, adds that there will be a state program designed to help people access fresh food. Then there is another problem facing society. Children not having someone to take care of them. Becky Salazar explains. A lot of them that we encounter, the parents are either incarcerated or they have their own mental health or drug issues where they're not able to be an effective parent. And sometimes grandparents wind up taking care of the kids, but help is on the way. Then there is the story of some boomers not visiting the doctor annually. Yep, it's money, or the lack thereof. And the Social Security cost of living raise next year probably won't be anything like the near 10% this year. Kendall Boyson will talk about how not to beat yourself up. Jill Graskowitz examines the sexual life of a boomer today. And Dick Taylor talks about returning to the good old days of radio, at least when it comes to rehearsals. The news is next. Boomer News, I'm Robert Rickman. U.S. Census data shows that 7.1 million American grandparents are living with their grandchildren under 18. Some 2.3 million of those grandparents are responsible for their grandchildren. And about a third of grandchildren living with grandparents who are responsible for them are younger than six. According to census data, about half of the grandparents who are responsible for their grandchildren are 60 and over. 60 and over. Senator Bob Casey says, tragically, at least 140,000 children were orphaned by the pandemic and are now living with grandparents or next of kin. And there are other reasons, says Becky Salazar, who directs the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging. A lot of them that we encounter, the parents are either incarcerated or they have their own mental health or drug issues where they're not able to be an effective parent. And uh, then we've had some that are in military. There's a, we've just found a lot of reasons why parents have to be absent. And then, of course, when we go into the family, that's the first thing we kind of look into to see if, uh, you know, to, to make sure that the parents are not going to want to become involved or, you know, get back into their life where the guardianship cases, you know, might be contested. So, uh, but oftentimes it's not where the, uh, the parents are either incarcerated or just having so many issues of their own that they're not able to be effective parents. When I was in Anna, I talked to some of the people in the senior center there, and the director of the senior center told me that they only have 10 baby boomers attending regularly. And I asked her why, and she said, it's because the baby boomers are still working. 
Yes, the economy now, I think, has made people have to stay in the workforce, or if they left the workforce, they're gone back to make more money. And then if they're also caring for uh, children, then uh, they need more money. Uh, a limited income isn't going to pay to feed the, the, the kids. So a lot of them are returning. Um, thankfully, the, this program that we're working with has a child care subsidy now that helps uh, pay for child care if um, grandparents are in the program. With more than 70,000 grandparents caring for more than 263,000 children in Illinois alone, a new pilot program is designed to connect caregivers with the proper resources. The Grandparents Raising Grandchildren program will run through December of 2026. Emily Sanders of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging tells us that the program is run by the Illinois Department of Family Services. We have what's called the Extended Family Support Program. It's a subcontracted program through DCFS where we help all non-parents or grandparents raising children. If there is anybody out there that is raising a child non-parent, doesn't have to be a grandparent, um, you can call our office at Egyptian Area Agency on Aging and I could get the Extended Family Support Program referral um, ready for you. The Extended Family Support Program administered by the Illinois Department of Child and Family Services and the Children Health Insurance Program administered by the Illinois Department of Health Care and Family Services. Other news. The New York Post reports that only 34% of Americans have visited their primary care doctor in the past year. A new survey of 2,000 U.S. adults examined their biggest barriers to health care access. Out-of-pocket expenses were a major concern, with 53% stating this would impact their decision to not seek medical care if they needed it. Nearly half also cited lack of transportation to the facility where they would need care or being unable to afford the ride. While nearly half budget for out-of-pocket expenses, there were differences among generations polled. Generation X led the charge in planning for these costs, 54%, compared to baby boomers, 39%. And new research shows a connection between consumption of highly processed food in adolescence and elevated mental stress later on in life. This according to a paper published in the Journal of Affective Disorders and available online via sciencedirect.com. Participants with the highest intake of ultra-processed food had increased odds of elevated psychological distress. The study was based on data from the Melbourne Collaborative Cohort Study. The authors looked at the mental health consequences for individuals who ate large amounts of processed food in adolescence between 13 and 17 years of age. Now, the authors found that higher ultra-processed food intake at baseline was associated with subsequent elevated psychological distress as an indicator of depression at follow-up. As we reported earlier, Illinois Governor Pritzker has signed into law a bill to establish a new program that will benefit food banks and local farmers. Local farmers such as Wayne Saros owns Rendleman Orchards near Alto Pass. And basically it helps a lot of people throughout the food chain. It helps the people that are growers, as I am. Uh, we grow a lot of produce and so forth, and therefore we have uh, a lot of produce that we're not able to, to sell to a lot of the fresh markets because of the grades. As you know, as you are a farmer, you have a lot of different types of grades of produce and what I mean by grades is you have some produce that is picture perfect or you could have some that are deformed or have a blemish on it 
or something that will not make the higher grade, therefore you ask for less money for it, or a lot of times, sometimes you actually cannot sell it and you have to possibly discard it, throw it away. With the Farm to Food Bank program, uh, it's designed to support Illinois farmers, and a lot of times we're able to sell those grades of fruit, different grades of fruit, all the way from number one quality that we like we ship to grocery stores or all the way down to the pieces of fruit that are produce that has uh, has a blemish on it to various food banks and we get reimbursed at a com competitive price uh, price to re reimburse a lot of our costs and expenses and so therefore they're able to use that fresh food in season food that has been grown by Illinois farmers that have been harvested by Illinois citizens that have been uh, all through the packing chain and the cold chain through Illinois businesses and therefore they go to various food banks throughout the state of Illinois for their customers that are in need for fresh produce. Now I um lived in the Nashville, Tennessee area, uh, a town called Laverne, and there's one person who called that town, which was a suburb, uh, a food, not a food desert, but a food swamp. And then I've heard people here in southern Illinois can't get fresh food, so you get a senior who's eating canned food, and it's not good for him or her. Uh, yeah, I, from what I understand, uh, there are various areas throughout uh, Illinois and definitely southern Illinois where they call food deserts where you have to travel at least possibly 45 minutes to an hour to your, to your closest grocery store. Therefore, at times you have a, a restriction on fresh produce due to the length of travel and, and you know, you're not able to access that every other day and so forth. But most importantly, uh, sometimes the cost of fresh produce is out of certain people's uh, budgets. So this is an opportunity for fresh produce to be provided and to be uh, passed out amongst people that might have a hard time uh, affording fresh produce within their uh, weekly budget. And there are some scientists who believe that diet has something to do with Alzheimer's and that fresh food can help to offset that disease. Well, you know, I'm sure, I, from what I'm aware of, is that fresh food can, uh, can offset uh, a lot of health problems, a lot of health ailments. Uh, you know, I've even read where sometimes uh, uh, physicians might even prescribe fresh produce for certain types of health ailments or to, for, to get into better, better health. But yes, I mean, uh, we all know that a lot of the fresh foods, uh, they do not have, they have more fiber, they probably have less salt than a lot of the canned foods, uh, a lot of the canned foods might have more preservatives in it, uh, so uh, yes, I think fresh food and vegetables, uh, fruits and vegetables are very, very good for, for any, anyone's diet. When I was a kid, I went to the New York World's Fair. I was 11 years old, this was in 1964. And occasionally I look at pictures of the fair and I see the crowds. And, and the crowds in the 64 uh, New York World's Fair were mostly slender. There were very few overweight people and I, from what I could see, none of them were over 60. 
So from what doctors are saying is eating these processed foods are making you sick and obese. Well, uh, I know for sure and from my experience that eating a lot of fresh foods straight from the farm and a lot of these foods uh, that, that are appropriated in the budget uh, that the, the bill that the Farm to Food Bank bill, the governor's sign, are Illinois, are to be Illinois produced foods, dairy, meats. So therefore, they should, they should be fairly fresh and fairly readily available versus the length of transportation that it takes to bring a lot of produce in from across the country and of course we get a lot of produce across our borders too so you know it should be healthier uh, for people healthier for our environment and definitely healthier for our economy too mm -hmm. now what's ironic I found is that there are boomers who live in the middle of farms farms surrounding them but they can't get fresh produce uh, yes, uh, I, I'm not aware of those issues like that. I'm, I mean, unless, you know, um, they're in an area where a, a lot of agronomic crops are raised yeah. and they, you know, they're directly not the type of fresh products that you would eat straight from the plant. Uh, but I do know that uh, a lot, it seems that a lot of people are having more of their own home gardens, especially since uh, the COVID pandemic that a lot of people have been starting to rely a little bit more on what they can provide for themselves. So yes, uh, you know, the having fresh produce available in all households of all ages is definitely a benefit. Okay, Wayne, any final thoughts? No, we're just, we're really, really glad that, yes, we're really, really glad that the governor has signed this and then has passed the legislation. Uh, we're just ra waiting for the money to be allocated and appropriated. Uh, hopefully, uh, it'll be probably most likely be too late for this year. But I'm hoping that uh, uh, when the season starts in Illinois next year in late April and May with, with early vegetables and so forth, and uh, then we carry on into our summer vegetables and our summer fruits and our fall fruits and fall vegetables, that money will be there available. Uh, for farm purchases and to be allocated out to the food banks, therefore taking care uh, of all their customers in need. Wayne Series, owner of Rendleman Orchards in Alto Pass, Illinois, north of where the Ohio and Mississippi rivers converged. And we recorded that outside. You could hear the birds chirping and the cars going by. Oh, no, yes. Many people who are not familiar with Illinois think of the state as corn, soybeans, and Chicago. But Southern Illinois is heavily forested and boasts orchards and vineyards as well. You should check it out sometime. Okay, let's talk about f screw ups. Nuts, you got a ticket for failure to yield. Now, would you stand in front of your bathroom mirror and punch yourself? I mean, you know, no, no, you're not going to do that. But many of us psychologically punch ourselves out. It's like punching out your best friend. You know why? Because your best friend is you. Kendall Boyson takes it from there. Good morning, Kendall. Hi, Robert. Today we are talking about believing in your own worth. Don't you wish you could see yourself as your best friend sees you? Like your mom sees you or your favorite aunt? 
Why do you let their praises fall on deaf ears, choosing to shut out the good and easily accept the negative self-talk that rattles around in your head even when nothing's wrong? Don't you wish you could be your own champion? Worth is defined as the level at which someone or something deserves to be valued or rated. Are you selling yourself short? I titled this Believing in Your Worth because the key here is to believe. We are all valuable. You are valuable. But do you believe it? Do you believe it when you hear it from others or when you force yourself to spit out a mantra like, you are enough? We all know positive self-talk is important and a way to lift our spirits and increase our sense of well-being. But... It isn't so easy to believe. Even so, we aren't accepting this and moving on to another subject. Let's dive in for a minute, audit our current sense of value, and find strategies to increase our worth. Courtney Ackerman defines what is self-worth and how do we build it. Here are five top factors that people use to measure and compare their own self-worth to the worth of others. Appearance. Whether measured by the number on a scale, the size of clothing worn, or the kind of attention received by others. By their net worth. This can mean income, material possessions, financial assets, or all of the above. Who you know and your social circle. Some people judge their own value and the value of others by their status and what important influential people they may know. What you do or your career. We often judge others by what they do. For example, a stockbroker is often considered more successful and valuable than a janitor or a teacher. And then what you achieve. We frequently use achievements to determine someone's worth, like the success in business, score on a test, placement in a marathon, or any other athletic challenge. To recognize your self-worth, remind yourself that you no longer need to please other people. Let me repeat that again. You no longer need to please other people. No matter what people do or say, and regardless of what happens outside of you, you alone control how you feel about yourself. You have the power to respond to events and circumstances based on your internal sources resources, and resourcefulness, which are the reflection of your true value. Your value comes from inside, from an internal measure that you've set for yourself. Not quite there yet, but a work in progress? That's okay, most of us are, but Michael Stanwick shares 10 thought habits of people with high self-worth. So let's try to model ourselves after someone that already knows it and feels it. No matter what I've done or haven't done, I am worthy of love. My things don't define me. It's not the clothes you wear, the car you drive, or the relationship you do or don't have. I'm allowed to feel whatever I'm feeling. People with self-worthiness are not always happy. They feel all the same feelings that anyone else feels. The difference is they create space for their emotions without feeling guilty about them. I delight in the joy of missing out. It's not about what happens. It's about how I respond to what happens. 
people with a high sense of self-worth haven't had easier lives than people who don't. They simply remember that only they are responsible for their feelings, thoughts, and actions. I do what I love, and I love what I do. What do you value most in life? What do you look forward to doing? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? I see myself in others. Self-worth requires the belief that the world is like a mirror. If people are judging you, it's because you are reflecting a part of them that they have yet to accept. I believe in something greater than myself. A person with a high sense of self-worth is neither full of themselves nor thinks that the world revolves around them. Instead, this person remembers and is humbled by their small but important role in the grand scheme of things. Every day, I find things to be grateful for. It's pretty easy to feel grateful when things are going well. A true challenge is to find things you can say thanks for, even when you're dealing with some of your greatest challenges in life. The story I tell about my life means everything. The way you think influences the way that you live. If you can believe this statement and start changing your thoughts based on your belief, expect to experience some serious self-growth. Patty Duke said, it's toughest to forgive ourselves, so it's probably best to start with other people. It's almost like peeling an onion, layer by layer, forgiving others, you really get to the point where you can forgive yourself. Isn't that the truth? That sounds like some great advice. Practice forgiving yourself by forgiving others. Once you're in the habit, don't stop. It's difficult to identify and celebrate your worth when you're hanging on to shame, guilt, and regret. Talk about a toxic emotional soup. Free yourself to move from one season to the next by remembering we are all learning and evolving. And if we had all the answers and did everything perfectly, well, I'm not even going to finish that thought because it wouldn't make sense. The world wouldn't make sense. So dust yourself off, let go, tell yourself it's going to be all right, and keep putting one foot in front of the other till you hit your next destination. Heck, lift your chin or you'll miss some pretty cool things along the way. So I challenge you, quiet self-talk that doesn't lift, encourage, inspire, or motivate. Practice self-forgiveness by forgiving others first. Believe that your worth is highly valued. I know you can do it. Back over to you, Robert, and OK Boomer. Thank you very much, Kendall. That's Kendall Boyson of Encouragementology. You can hear Kendall Tuesday evenings at 9 o'clock on WDBX. Okay, Boomer. All right, let's see. Oh, time to get up. Sometimes I think I need a crane, and we're going to walk to the coffee machine. And uh, we go past the uh, garage, and then we're passing the swimming pool. And Oh, here's some place we haven't visited before. Let's open the door, and... Yep. It's the tap dancing studio. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we need more tap dancing in the world. Kind of neat. 
Well, we have work to do, folks, so we're going to have to leave and walk to the coffee machine. There we are. Somebody unplugged it. I plugged it back in, and we're turning it on. Coffee, fresh from OK Boomer. Cup of tea with Carrie. And a cup of joe with Robert. A new survey on the sleep habits of Americans find that a small percentage of us like to sleep in the nude. 8% of respondents to a national sleep survey commissioned by the home furnishings retailer Anna's Linens admit hitting the sack without PJs. And 74% of respondents wear pajamas to bed. The same percentage of Americans sleep on their sides, 16% sleep on their stomachs and 10% on their backs. Additional findings, 47% share a bed with someone who snores. Just 10% of respondents said they were able to recall nearly all their dreams in the morning. 65% say they get a restful night's sleep, only three nights or less per week. I think you're one of them. Uh, 10% say they get a restful night's sleep every night, while 25% say they sleep restfully five to six nights per week. The survey finds that Friday night provides the most restful sleep. Hmm. Followed closely by Saturday, the night that provides the least restful night is Sunday, followed by Monday. The nationwide survey involved more than 37 million individuals. Wait a minute. Too many zeros. 3,700 individuals. On November 18th, a female wearing a bandana over her mouth, sunglasses, and sweats walked into the in-place hotel in Naples and threatened an employee by indicating she had a gun in her pocket. After telling the employee to empty the register and lay down on the floor, the robber took the money and fled into a waiting getaway car. Cops, however, say just as the victim was calling 911, another call came in and the apparently inadvertent ring revealed two women discussing the robbery. Cops were able to arrest Nicalia Wright for the crime and later her sister, Ashley Alwine, for allegedly driving the getaway car. Have that with your cup of joe. And your cup of tea. I'm Robert Rickman. And I'm Carrie Boylan. Okay, Boomer. Okay, that doesn't sound very good. It sounds ominous. And as we, we reported last episode, 38 million adults are living alone in the United States where the share of single-person households has reached a record high. Now, there are many reasons behind this shift in our society, including the economic gains that women have made when they enter the workforce and changing attitudes towards marriage. One factor fueling the rising number of seniors in solo households caught experts by surprise, as reported last week, when they first stumbled upon the trend, a rise in divorce rates among adults over 50. And now let's talk about single seniors hooking up. Jill Graskowitz is the director of a senior citizen center and former administrator of a nursing home. I asked Jill. Now, what about the era of free love uh, when contraceptives became available, birth control and all of that? I remember going to a major university in the area where the dormitories, I mean, there was a lot of um, promiscuousness at that time. How does that square with eventually getting married to somebody and then getting divorced? Okay, I'm going to say the word here, the taboo word, sex. Ooh, no one wants to say it. We all whisper. Okay, sex is a thing. Sex is an everyday part of life. Sex is a need of a human nature. Free love 
really hasn't stopped. It's changed. It has uh, morphed into other things. Uh, not quite so free anymore, thanks to a lot of attorneys and, um, you know, judges. <laughs> um, but there are still a lot of, of uh, very interesting love triangles and um, different natures of um, exciting free love that is still out there today. Have you seen some of this at the senior center? Absolutely. This is like a gigantic love triangle here. And when you do have spouses who are divorced or widowed, they're back in the whole new dating game again. And a lot of them have no idea what they're doing because dating has changed so dramatically. And people are swiping left and right. And sometimes swiping means something that you don't quite think it means. Well, for the sake of our audience, could you define it? Well, I think that, you know, uh, the, the app that we are referring to can mean just a, uh, how do you say it in a nice way? Uh, I don't want to be your friend. I just want the benefit. And then you can go home. So when you're saying swiping, you're not saying swiping an app on your cell phone. Oh, yes, definitely swiping an app out of my cell phone where I put a picture up of myself and say, uh, I like dogs taking long walks on the beach. I like pina coladas and um, however the rest of that song goes. But you see a picture of someone, you see their interest and you think, yeah, it's a hookup. Mm-hmm. That's Jill Graskowitz, former nursing home administrator and current director of Club 60, the Marion, Illinois Senior Center. Next time, we'll talk about senior divorce and money. And it's time to summon Mark Twain, who allegedly said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Let's go back 48 years to where a United States congressman commented about the economy as it was back then. The congressman would later become a United States senator and later still a candidate for the presidency. Now, is there anything in this interview that rhymes with the events of the first quarter of the 21st century? In August of 1975, Bob Smith of the off-ramp interviewed Congressman Paul Simon of Illinois about the state of the economy as it was then. Unemployment, like you mentioned, is a, is a great concern. And as you know, it seems to hit this area hard, especially when it's hitting the, the nation hard. Uh, could you, do you have any idea, could you give us about the legislation that is pending before Congress or that is being written up concerning uh, public service employment, uh, unemployment compensation, and so forth? Any changes that uh, you see coming? Yes, there are a number of changes. One is unemployment compensation has already been extended, and that may be extended further. Uh, with the new uh, unemployment rate now announced at 8.2% and with growing underemployment also that doesn't enter into the figures. Uh, by that I mean the, the plant, for example, and there are several of them in southern Illinois now that are they're where they're working every other week or working three days a week. Now that doesn't enter into unemployment figures, but it obviously 
is also a very real factor in the economy. Um, the, the other thing is, of course, public service jobs, where uh, a great deal is being done to uh, uh, start pushing on getting some public service jobs. You can call them WPA, CCC, whatever you want to call them. But something along that line uh, is, uh, is being encouraged. I'm going to be having a couple of bills in uh, myself to do some experimental work uh, in this field of providing public service jobs. But I just think that uh, you can't let people, massive numbers of people, be unemployed uh, without having, uh, having to pay for it, not only economically, but in other social problems, crime and other things. Do you have any idea how long it's going to be before some of this legislation gets to uh, the floor for serious consideration? I think that you, with the committees working hard on it right now, you'll see uh, by March, uh, or in March rather, you'll see uh, things start to move into action at the congressional level. I don't anticipate uh, that in February yet we will see anything on the floor. Committees are working on these things, however, right now. Uh, this tax rebate situation is uh, quite interesting to most people. I understand uh, that some of the people, though, are feeling that even the new Democratic proposal, which is uh, apparently reaching a higher amount of people at the lower income levels than the, uh, the administration's proposal, uh, many people feel that even that seems to be weighted in favor of the more wealthy. For instance, uh, some figures that were reported yesterday indicated that uh, persons who are earning the seventeen to $20,000 level will get back approximately $200 on the average, and those making $8,000 or under who have paid taxes maybe getting back only $90 to $100. Do you have any feelings on that? Uh, yes, uh, I do. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> one of the problems is those who haven't, haven't been working at all, uh, who are really hard hit, don't get any benefits really on, under virtually any of these plans. I think we have to consider alternatives. Uh, just as another example, uh, I have suggested to the Ways and Means Committee that uh, one of the alternatives we think about is that we give one extra Social Security check to everyone on Social Security. Uh, it would cost about $2 billion, but it would help people who really need help. Uh, and it would be a spur to the economy at the same time. Uh, I think it would help much more than giving people who earn seventeen dollars to $20,000 an extra $200. Uh, I, I think we ought to be thinking about some, uh, some alternatives to these proposals. I notice uh, many people seem to think, well, $90, that might pay for next month's rent. But uh, beyond that, it doesn't seem to have any effect on, on their income or their, uh, the, uh, their ability to, to purchase or anything in the long term or even for a, a six-month period. Well, the idea of this, of course, is not that that $90 is going to help that individual directly that much. But if you take $90 times the number of people who have that, all of a sudden you have a lot more money in the economy, all of a sudden you have people who are able to buy cars and maybe uh, buy a refrigerator and so forth, and it helps the overall economy, even though that one family's $90 doesn't mean that much. Uh, I was going to also bring up something else here which has been touching with many congressmen. Uh, many people have criticized the House for taking off for this Lincoln recess. And I noticed that, in all fairness to you, looking at your schedule, you seem to be pretty busy for the next week or so at least. Uh, but uh, some people have criticized Congress, or the House, that is, for taking off during this period while the Senate has canceled its own recess. Uh, do you think that this, uh, this period will give the House members a, a good chance to get in touch with what the people are thinking concerning this various legislation we've been discussing? I think it's good. Frankly, uh, people get the wrong idea, I think, when you talk about a congressional vacation or recess, because as you can see here today, 
um, it's, a, it's a good chance to get feedback back home. And I think it's too easy to be out in Washington and forget the problems that people in Jonesboro and Anna and Cobden and Dongola and, uh, you know, back home. That's, that's what we're really talking about when we're voting those laws. And so I, I'm for anything that's going to get the average member of Congress back to the grassroots a little more than he is. Well, thank you for talking with us today. I know you've been very busy, and we'll let you get back to your uh, other constituents here. Okay, thank you very much. That was Bob Smith interviewing U.S. Congressman Paul Simon from Illinois during a period of inflation and unemployment across the United States. Now, doesn't any of what you heard sound familiar with what's going on today? Does it rhyme with the events of 1975? Paul Simon was an American author and politician from Illinois, serving in the House of Representatives from 1975 to 85, and in the United States Senate from 85 to 97. Both Bob Smith and I interviewed Congressman Simon on a regular basis when we worked together on WRAJ Radio in Anna, Illinois. And oh yes, the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute was later established at Southern Illinois University Carbondale. And that's that. Back in the past, a long time ago, but I think we all remember it pretty well, don't we? I said, you're not listening, Christy. Okay, Boomer. All right. <laughs> now we're going to talk about radio and how it needs to be improved. <laughs> Maybe starting with this program. Anyway, what we've got here is Dick Taylor. Now, Dick spent a lot of time in commercial broadcasting, and uh, he also uh, was a professor at a university in, um, in the South in Kentucky. Now, there are several things that took place maybe 70 years ago. One of them was rehearsing before you went on the air because people were on the air live. And many times, rehearsing started with an idea. Hey, let's do this. But uh, Dick says maybe that wasn't an initial good idea. Your idea is ugly. Ever had someone say that to you? How does it make you feel? Well, all ideas start out as ugly. Ed Catmull, CEO of Pixar, writes in his book Creativity Incorporated that early in the creative process, every movie Pixar has ever made sucked. They all started out as ugly babies that are awkward and unformed, vulnerable, and incomplete. And that's okay, because the public never sees these ugly Pixar babies. Catmull says it's the company's job to protect these original, fragile ideas from being judged too quickly. They understand that great ideas aren't born, they're created from ugly ones. You don't see a Broadway show open without there being a lot of practice first. You don't see any type of performance art take to the stage without practice. All of showbiz, except for radio, has rehearsals, observes programming genius George Johns. And why is that? Ron Jacobs, the first boss radio PD in America at 93KHJ in Los Angeles, writes in his book, KHJ Inside Boss Radio that before the new KHJ launched, every air personality and board engineer spent two weeks practicing for the station's debut. Every word and every nuance was critiqued on the fly by Jacobs and programming consultant Bill Drake, said boss jock Gary Mack. More up, more energy, faster. I remember the distinct odor of flop sweat. 
but every day got better. And we made our mistakes off the air, said Mac. This was the way radio worked once upon a time. Nothing went on the air unrehearsed. Everything that went on the air was screened to ensure it would meet the standards set by the station. Ugly babies were nurtured until they became great ideas that became great radio stations. Great radio takes work. Great radio is exciting to listen to. Great radio gets results. Let's make radio great again. I agree with that completely. Okay, Boomer. And she does, too. That was Dick Taylor. He spent decades in commercial broadcasting and is a retired media professor at Western Kentucky University. You can uh, check out his blog at dicktaylorblog.com. That's dicktaylorblog.com. All one word until the dot com. Bob and Marcia Smith next on The Off-Ramp. Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery. Weird animals and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on The The Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit us online at theofframp.show. Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. Tech Time also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, Tech Time is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it. Techtime.it. And if you're looking for a first-class Italian translator, check out Laura Squigna. It's spelled S-G-U-I-G-N-A. Laura Squigna, and you can find her on the Tech Time website under Translators. What is the Marie Antoinette syndrome? And what future Roman emperor was kidnapped by pirates when he was 25 years old? (laughs) Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity. The Marie Antoinette syndrome. Uh-huh. Hmm. Take, take a guess. I want you to think about it. Well, is it the let-them-eat-cake syndrome? Is it something like that? No, no. What is the Marie Antoinette syndrome, then? Well, it's not that common. But during times of extreme stress, your hair can turn white overnight. 
Okay, I've heard of that, but I didn't know it was true. Well, it apparently happened to her, the Queen of France, Marie Antoinette, before the morning she walked to the guillotine. That would be a bit stressful. Oh, yes. And then just remember, she and Louis XVI were taken by a mob from Versailles from the palace. You know, they broke uh, into the palace. Yeah. Must have been horrible. Oh, Lord. And you heard of uh, Sir Thomas More? Mm-hmm. His hair turned white overnight in, when he was in the Tower of London. Remember that? The yes. Tower of London? Before his execution. So it happens. Uh, and the good news is that doctors think that sometimes your hair can revert back. They did one study in 2021 that showed a woman, <laughs> this doesn't seem like a big gain to me, but she regained five hairs with color after she took a two-week holiday. How can you find just five hairs and know that they changed well, color? Well, because if your whole head is white and then suddenly, hey, here's some new hair. I suppose. It can grow back under different and unusual circumstances. Well, this is another ancient oriented story. Okay. Even more ancient, actually. What future Roman emperor was kidnapped by pirates when he was 25? It wasn't ancient Roman? What future Roman (laughs) emperor was kidnapped by pirates when he was 25? I don't know that many. Well, just think of one name. Caesar. Julius Caesar. Yes. It was him. (laughs) I I never heard this story. He was the victim of the Mediterranean Sea's pirate problem. They had a pirate problem. (laughs) There's always something, isn't it? In 75 BC, he was a 25-year-old Roman nobleman on his way to Rhodes to study oratory when he was kidnapped. And apparently, he wasn't a very good captive. He laughed when the pirates told him they sent his ransom demand at 25 talents. He said if they knew who he was, they would have asked for twice the that so they asked for more so he sent his own ransom and then he sent his entourage out to gather the money to pay for this meanwhile he bossed the pirates around he shushed them to be quiet when he was sleeping oh forgot he made them listen to speeches and poems he wrote while in captivity and he also told them from time to time he would have them all crucified and oh. guess what they laughed at him for that and he did didn't he? Yes. yes bad sir. for them 38 days passed. Caesar's ransom arrived. He was set free. But instead of going home, he raised a naval force, went back to the island. And when he had the pirates arrested, the Roman governor wasn't enthusiastic about punishing these. So he went to the prison himself where they were being held, and he had them crucified. Good Lord in heaven. Okay. So don't mess with Julius Caesar even when he's 25 years old. Oh, Lord. Okay. I thought that was a good character study. I did. I never heard that story before. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he had uh, leadership qualities. Uh, not always good. But. Okay. So, Bob, here's something I suspect you'll know, but I'd like to throw you a bone once in a while. Who issued the first credit cards, and when? I think that was a. Uh, was it a restaurant? It was a dining, dining, dining card. The dining card. The dining, dining club card. The Diners Club. Oh, okay. Diners Club. Okay, yes, that's the one. Yeah, and the year was? I would say in the 1950s, but Uh maybe I'm wrong. No, you're right. 1950, actually. Before then, gas companies and hotel chains just issued cards that were exclusively good for their services. But in 1949, businessman Frank McNamara was dining at Major's Cabin Grill a New York City restaurant. Okay. And when the check came, discovered he had no cash. And his, <laughs> that's My grandpa did that once. <laughs> uh, I know guys who've done that before and walked out on their dates, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was. His wallet was in the other suit. And fortunately, McNamara's wife rescued him, but Frank resolved he'd never be embarrassed like that again. Frank McNamara. Uh-huh. So that was his name. And that's why he invented something we have all learned 
to love and hate the modern credit card. And that was just for restaurants at that time. Yeah. Soon they expanded it. Yeah. So he expanded it and it was a, made it a fee-based card that was good for a large number of totally unrelated businesses. Okay. And soon after that, American Express climbed on board and Bank AmeriCard in 1959 now issued the first bank credit card and called it Visa. Okay, so there we are. And MasterCard came in 1966. Seems like they've always been around. It does, doesn't it? Well, yeah. in most people's lives, they have today, you yeah. know. And just imagine how they paid cash for most things. Imagine that. But to be there <laughs> and to realize, I don't have any cash. Oh, my gosh, how embarrassing. And it was a business dinner. Yeah. That yeah. had to be very embarrassing yeah. for him. Yeah. Okay, so those are the mother of invention there. Mm-hmm. It was an embarrassment at a dinner that mm-hmm. created the first credit card. Marcia, what famous Asian language has a Portuguese name? Well, got me there, Bob. Tell me what it is. It's Mandarin Chinese. Really? Yeah, the language itself is known as Putonghua, meaning common speech. The word Mandarin comes from the Portuguese word Mandarim, which Portuguese explorers used to describe Chinese officials during the 16th century. So the rest of the world calls it Mandarin Chinese, but it's a Portuguese name. Chinese don't use that term. Yes. Okay, Bob, you'll like this. Mm Mm-hmm. Why is listening into a private conversation called eavesdropping? Oh, there's a good one. Eavesdropping. Eaves. Okay, did it have anything to do with the eaves of a house, for instance, a design of the eaves, or the eaves of a tree? Yes, the first one. A house. Okay. Uh So people would hear by listening through the attic or something like that? Well, you're dancing around it, shall I say. Well, I'd like to dance around (laughs) it. In medieval times, houses did not have roof gutters to carry off rainwater. Okay. Instead, they have eaves, which protected their mud walls from rain that was dropping off the roof. During sudden downpours, people would take refuge under the eaves to get out of the rain. The mud walls of the houses in those days weren't that thick. So if you were standing under the eaves, you could often hear what people were saying inside the house. Oh, no kidding. And you became a... Eaves dropper. Yeah. <laughs> dropping in. How interesting. Uh-huh. So it came from the structure of the houses. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed it either. Okay, that's good. Well, and nice to know that it relates directly to the word being part yeah. of a house, a yeah. structure, uh-huh. eavesdropping. So they would hang around. The, <laughs> Get funny. out of the rain, and uh-huh. then, oh, as long as I'm here, I'll see what Harry and Mildred are talking oh, about. Oh, they're having a problem. They're having a fight over there. <laughs> and it's over Jolene. I didn't know that Harry liked Jolene. Oh, good Lord. Is that a medieval name, I Jolene? don't think so, no. Okay, all right. Okay, Marcia, when was the first movable type with metal letters made? Ah. Uh, Now, we think about Gutenberg, right? Yeah. That was 1450, but he wasn't the original guy. Oh, it was before then? Yes. Oh, well, then I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll give you a year, okay? Okay. 1353. Wow, you're not too far off. (laughs) It goes back to Asia, where a lot of the early inventions were, but they were kind of provincial in terms of not getting out to the rest of the world. But the Chinese were the first to use movable type. They had ceramic and wood movable type, that is, letters made of ceramic materials Mm -hmm. or wood, by 1040 A.D. Oh, my. But... Movable metal type with individual letters made of metal, what people associate with Gutenberg, was actually invented by the Koreans. That was in 1234 when the first books known to have been printed in metallic type were published in Korea. So you can thank the Koreans for metal type. Drop them a line. Okay. (laughs) 
We have a quote from a Korean king in 1403. He remarked to his courtiers around him, and this is recorded somewhere, if the country is to be governed well, it's essential that books are read widely. It's my desire to cast copper type so we can print as many books as possible. So that was 50 years before Gutenberg. That was advanced thinking, huh? Now, the interesting thing about Gutenberg is his job was not as a printer. You know what his profession was? Uh, dancer. <laughs> he was a goldsmith. So he was used to working with metal, too. So that's where it came from. He was a metallurgist. You know, he's a person who is a smith working with metal, mm-hmm. just like the Koreans who did the first movable type. I didn't know that. I didn't either. All right, Forbes magazine, Bob. Mm-hmm. They did an article about a survey done by Big 7 Travel. They surveyed 1.5 million people and asked them to name their top destinations for their bucket list. Okay. Okay. They found most people had a list of 11 places and hoped to visit at least seven before they kicked the bucket. So, can you name any of the top 10 bucket list destinations? It's These are mostly cities. Okay, Paris, France. I just think that's a romantic capital most it, people think of. It is, and it was. Uh, um, that's number seven. Beijing, China. Uh, not on the top 10. Hmm. Okay, London. Uh, that's uh, not on the top 10. Okay, are there any parks or landmarks or uh, you know natural features that people mention? No, it, there's only one place in the United States on the top 10, and I wouldn't have guessed this one, New Orleans. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's number two. Well, it has a, a certain distinction for people. Yeah, because it's so unique. Yeah. And so number one was Bali, Indonesia. Because of their beaches, volcanoes, Komodo dragons, all things that you and I are just crazy about. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Komodo dragons. Uh, number two is New Orleans. Three is Cary Island. Cary Island. Yeah. Okay. And they have perfect little small towns there and the Killarney National Park there. Number four, Marrakesh, Morocco. Number five, Sydney, Australia. The Maldives in the Indian Ocean. Paris, number seven, Cape Town, South Africa. Dubai, and number 10 is Bora Bora, French Polynesia. Hmm, Bora Bora. Yeah. I never think of that. Those are like old names for me. So there aren't a lot on this list that you and I would uh, find absolute must-do before we do the... What did I hear a comedian say? My bucket list? I changed the first letter of that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's it for today. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we invite you to submit any questions or thoughts you might have by going to our website, theofframp.show. OK Boomer is produced in the studios of WDBX Radio in Carbondale, Illinois. It is also broadcast on WRFM Radio in Nashville, Tennessee. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you download your podcasts. And we're on Facebook, too. And, of course, you are invited to visit OK Boomer at robertrickman.net. Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-C-K-M-A-N.net. Small case, all one word. robertrickman.net. And remember, folks, we all have choices.